Welcome to Go Into All the World. Gary Griffinhagen, our host, has a new website you can access by going to GaryGriffinhagen.com. That's GaryGriffinhagen.com. The site contains a blog and a link where you can make a donation to help support this radio ministry, Go Into All the World. Now here's Gary. Well, listen, I want to pick up where I left off last week. Um, I kind of wanted to continue to exhort believers and people that are listening um, I outlined some of the reasons or some of the reasons for the program and how God began to use me. And I want to talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, this is something I said before, but when I first started talking to others, um, it basically was all about evangelism. I really didn't know much of the word. I just kind of started sharing immediately or pretty much immediately after I got saved. So it took a while to learn the word and people would challenge me or people would suggest this or how do I talk about that and you know, I had the Romans Road and a few just kind of basic things how to witness to others. But again, I, I just kind of began to share what I knew. Well, as I kept going into all the world, I really became cognizant, if you want to call it that, about, so to speak, different needs. And uh, people had, like, maybe they were depressed or they were sad or they'd like to see a healing or something in their life. And a lot of times this was believers, uh, there were some non-believers, but a lot of times as I went into all the world, I began to contact believers as well as unbelievers and begin to notice, if, if you want to call it that, some of these other needs or God brought it to my attention. Well, I, you know, Jesus said, okay, that same place, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and Mark 16, 15, 8 through 18 and stuff, he said, go into all the worlds. But he also said, lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So again, we hear, go into all the world and preach and teach, and that's wonderful. But there's other verses there, or there's other parts of that, if you want to call it theme or scripture. And I began to see that you'll lay hands on the sick. Well, in one of my first mini trips, I went to Mexico to basically help out at an orphanage. And while I was going there, I picked up a hitchhiker, and God healed him of a problem with his eye. He got in the car, we started talking, and he had like a sty. It wasn't some major thing, but it went away I mean, immediately after we prayed. Then, as I went down to the orphanage, the sister there had these kind of Coke bottle glasses. And I said, why? I said, well, I just can't see very much. And I said, let's pray for your eyes. We prayed for her eyes, and God healed her. And for the next four and a half years or so, she never uh, wore glasses again, okay? And I think after four, four and a half years, she did put them back on or some type. But anyways, God healed her, and she had, again, these Coke bottle type things. So you know her eyesight wasn't very good at all. Well, after I'd been saved, and that was probably about two years when I went to the orphanage thing, so I hadn't been saved very long. After I'd been saved about five or six years, um, some of the more significant things started happening, um, I was sharing with a young man that wanted to commit suicide. We spent about an hour and a half on the phone. He kept dropping the gun, picking it up, dropping the gun, picking it up. And finally, by the grace of God, he put it down. And he didn't kill himself. And about a month later, I met him and his girlfriend, okay? And that was kind of a significant thing. I've never had the occasion before that to talk with somebody, and especially as a Christian, try to, quote, talk him out of suicide type thing. Um, there was a sister at a, at a different church. I kind of met her while I was waiting for a friend. And she got immediately delivered from depression, oppression, and, and just kind of stuff like that. And she'd been in severe, if you want to call it depression, for a while. I don't remember. It was, I think it was a couple of years, but it had been a while. She'd gone to counseling, and nothing had helped. Well, I laid hands on her, and she got instantly healed. Um, 
And I think, I want to remind you that the Bible says that Jesus went around destroying the works of the devil. Okay, and that's what I think God wants us to do too. We see somebody sick, we see somebody oppressed, things like that. I believe he wants us to lay hands on them. Does that mean every single person you see in public? Well, no, but I think if you pray about it, God will begin to lead you to people that are either ready or he's going to touch or whatever you want to say in that sense. So again, please think about these things. Consider the whole, th- the whole, if you want to call it scripture, go into all the world, preach, teach, but also lay hands on the sick and there's other things. Well, I, I shared some of the Silverado testimonies in the last few weeks, and you can see these are like major acts of God. I mean, with many words of wisdom, or sorry, words of knowledge. There was like breaking off a of depression, oppression, discouragement, sometimes in unbelievers. Uh, we saw a number of suicides, okay? And these are basically unbelieving kids, uh, maybe a couple of believers, but anyways, but unbelieving kids that, that got delivered from suicidal tendencies and things. Remember we talked about the young girl, the young sister that was kind of being groomed for abuse, and God delivered her, and with a number of powerful answers to prayers. Well, that's kind of a background. Let's go on now. I'm going to talk a little bit about, or kind of give like an intro to Romans 7. So Romans chapter 6, it directed us to give ourselves over to righteousness now that we are dead and buried with him. So a lot of times we as believers see that we've been delivered from the slavery of sin. We've been delivered from that. But God wants us to see, now you're delivered over to righteousness. Now you're supposed to become a slave of righteousness, i.e. serve God, do, do things for God, and follow him every day. Well, in Romans 7, Paul moves in the position of our being dead in sin and alive unto God. Uh, he also, if you want to call it, then begins to introduce what I call the necessity of rejecting any type of law-based actions and thinking on the part of believers. Again, we want to reject any type of law-based actions and thinkings. And here's, here's kind of what he, I kind of gleaned as we go through chapter 7. The law will stymie us, it will subject us, it will silence us, it will thwart us. It will also often, very, very, if you want to call it, it'll cut short any testifying we do. Well, I'm not good enough, maybe I'm having a bad day. No. All right? And a lot of times this law, it kind of goes on to a different, if you want to call it a different aspect. It'll, it'll make what we say so unappealing and binding that even unbelievers and those new to the faith will want to violently reject what we saw. I'm sorry, we say. Here's an example. A lot of times we see, and this is not mine, but I can't remember the evangelist or someone that used it, but he anyway, said, he said, a lot of times we'll say to the drunkard or somebody out on the street, hey, God loves you, he, he, he's going to put up, and he, he's not mad at you and all that kind of stuff, and even though you're getting drunk or whatever, just come to him and things will be all good. Well, they come to him, then they come to church and they start getting the rule. Well, you can't drink. Oh, did you get here on time? Did you do this? Oh, your hair doesn't look good. Oh, your dress is too short. In other words, we get into all kind of law-based things so that grace that we showed them when they were not saved doesn't carry over into the, so to speak, the church. And I really want you to think about that for a minute because if you think of every other group, okay, besides Christianity, every cult, every non-Christian group, every single one of them, I mean all of them, all of them, I repeat again, all have some form of law-based salvation or, so to speak, law-based performance, law-based being right, or maybe if you want to call it staying right, okay? You might get saved by grace or maybe just get saved by knowing God or Buddha or somebody, but then you've got to follow these laws to stay saved or to kind of grow. Well, they put themselves, okay, under tremendous bondage, and again, that same bondage and performance-based faith that we put on others, now we've got a real issue. 
God called us to be free in Christ. We can read in Romans, especially 6, 7, and 8, about the greatness of what we, what's been done for us. But then we want to go back into church, or some churches or denominations will say, that I, I've got to put some more bondage or performance-type things with this. And that's not true. It's wrong. It's completely wrong. And again, a lot of believers are hurt by that. And so we have to begin to recognize we're going to reject any kind of law-based stuff, any kind of Old Testament law, any kind of this, that, or the other. Yeah, I'm going to read my Bible. I've got to read it an hour a day, that kind of stuff. No. Read your Bible as much as the Holy Spirit directs you. And if not, pick out a time you can, 15, 20 minutes, and read your Bible. God leads you to read more? Fine. If he doesn't, just read that 15, 20 minutes every day. Again, not because you have to, in the sense I'm going to have to do this to stay saved. No, you're saved. We just want you to grow in Christ, all right? All right, let's go on to Romans 7, if you kind of know my style. I usually read the the verse in its entirety, and then I kind of give some comments about it. So we're going to go to Romans 7, 1. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. Okay, so we see right off the bat that this letter was written to all believers, and particularly those uh, Jewish believers, those who came out of the Jewish faith. It says, the law has dominion over man. Okay, so the law, okay, come to the things we're talking about, you're under the law, da-da-da-da-da, it has dominion over you as long as a man, okay, or the believer lives. <clears throat> so again, if we, as long as we live, okay, until we're freed by Christ, that law has dominion over us. And we say law, a lot of times we kind of refer to, the reference is really to our sin nature. We have the sin nature, our old man, and that's where problems come from. Now, it says we can only be liberated by why? As long as he liveth. So we can only be liberated by death, if you would. All right, let's go on. And Paul kind of went back into the same type of thing in kind of the end of chapter 6, okay, or Romans 6. And now he's going to kind of expand this on chapter 7. So again, The law has dominion over us only as long as we live. Well, let's go on to verse 2 and see what it says. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. Well, what's Paul doing here? He's kind of setting up a comparison using marriage, okay, to explain the relationship between our old man, the law, and what Christ did for us, okay, about the old man and the law. So right now, in this case, the husband represents our old man or our sin nature. The wife is our mind, will, and emotions, our soul or personality, and our body. So think about it. We've got a man over here, and we've got a woman over here. The man is our old nature that's inside of us, okay, and controlling us, if you want to call it that, driving us, if you would, kind of forcing us to sin. Well, we want to see how do we get out of this, or what is Paul's point here? Well, the next point is the marriage comparison. The Old Testament law represents the civil laws that kept her married. So this woman, this is ourselves, okay, in this illustration, we're bound, okay, by the civil laws, okay? We couldn't divorce. Remember, a woman couldn't divorce back then. A man could, but a woman couldn't. So we just had to stay married until the person or the husband passed away. All right? So again, I'm kind of reiterating that in my next comment. It says, the woman is bound by law to her husband. Believers are bound to the law as long as we have our nature, the old man or husband. We, like, again, the woman here, are already married. So he's saying that you're already married to the law. You're already married to your old nature. Now, we we cannot, if you want to call it, get out of that old nature until it dies. Well, how did it die? Okay. 
And we're going to know, we're going to find that in the next few verses, that Christ died, okay, to set us free from our old nature, as well as to pay for, quote, our individual sins. Paul makes a point later about, I think it's in Romans 7, 24, he said, that which I do, uh, that was what I do not want to do is what I do, and that's what I want to do, I don't do. So a wretched man, who am I that will be set free? So again, if I come back here, the point is, we want freedom, we want to not do what we don't want to do type things, or want to do what we want to do. Spiritually speaking, however, though, we are powerless to obtain it. We're kind of bound to this old man until our old man be dead. Well, let's go on to verses 3 and 4, and we'll find out what happened to the old man. Verse, Romans 7, 3. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if the husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no longer an adulteress, though she be married to another man. All right. So a woman, okay, that has two men, okay, is an adulteress. If we continue the comparison above, the woman as a believer has a new nature. If the woman would have an old nature, she'd be an adultery. So let me kind of explain that again. We, representing the woman, or the woman representing us, as a believer, we now have a new nature. The new nature, remember Christ said, you know, you, you're a brand new creature. All things have passed away. Right now, we're brand new. If we had the old nature with us, we would be in adultery. We'd have two natures, the new nature and the old nature. Now, some churches and some denominations teach the old nature is still there. Well, that's false, because otherwise, if, if it was, you'd have exactly what Paul said here. You'd be an adulterer, and we know that's not true. We're not adulterers, all right? So the old man is dead. The old man was taken away by Christ. And again, we're going to see that here in a little bit. All right, let me go back to my comments. So <clears throat> when this lady, okay, or ourselves under Christ, when we get free, we will not be an adulterer or an adulteress if we marry another. We've lost our old nature, the old man. Now we can carry, or if you would, marry another. So when our old nature dies and goes away, now we can marry or take in another one. And, of course, that's our new nature. We're being new creations in Christ. And he even says at the end of the point there, she is no longer an adulteress, this is the end of 7.3, though she be married to another man. Why? Because she's only married to one man. All right? Uh, I want to make one comment here. This is kind of out of a commentary, and I'm going to like cite it and things like that, because it's very important for you listening to understand. It is essential we understand this point, that our old man is dead and we are married to Christ. A commentary, Discipling Through Romans by Don Crow, with comments by Andrew Womack, states, A Christian who does not understand that our old man is dead will constantly feel the guilt of the Old Testament law that bound us to our first husband, the old man. So again, what they're saying even if we are dead, if you don't understand that or you don't understand some of the things that I'm saying here, all right, you'll still have the effects of that old man bothering you. And we don't want the shame. We don't want the guilt. We don't want, the, if you want to call it, the head trip and things like that that can come out of that relationship. Because remember, that old relationship, we were kind of bound to sin. You know, when it got strong enough, we would sin, okay? Maybe not right off the bat, and some people body or better at it than others. But anyways, we want to reconcile or recognize that old man is dead. We don't want to live there. We can't resurrect it. We can't do anything. So let's get rid of it. And again, like Andrew and Don Crow said, we want to be free, and we want to walk in that freedom, not be kind of entangled or bothered, if you would, by the guilt from the old man. All right, let's go on to Romans 7, 4. 
<clears throat> Wherefore, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. We'll have a lot of comments here, so I'll just take them one at a time. But really carefully listen to this, if you want to call these explanations, okay? Because <clears throat> it's going to tell you who you are now in Christ, and that's important for you to understand. So first of all, it says this verse says, Jesus set us free from the law and set us free or took our old man. We know this is because the verse says we are married to another. So he had to take the old man or we couldn't be married to another like the verse says. Again, he had to take the old man out of us, our old nature, all right, so we could be married to another. <clears throat> he set us free from the law. Well, that's going to that's gonna, gonna rock a lot of people's heads. I had somebody in my little Bible group that I taught it, or I teach it, New Creation Church, kind of a foundations class, said, come in, we have to, he said to me, we have to obey the law. Well, I told him, no, not necessarily, and I kind of put him off and was kind of trying to draw him out. Well, after a couple of times he commented that, I showed him a scripture in Colossians, that was the last time I saw him. He realized we don't have to keep the law, we can't keep the law, that's the reason that Christ died. And so him or somebody else preaching you have to keep the law was wrong. All right. Not that you're not a believer, but you're preaching something that's not, if you want to call it, maybe not heresy, but it's not correct and it's very incorrect and it can, so to speak, bind people. Well, let's go back to the uh, seventh, four. Uh, here we go. There's a couple other comments in seven, two, we are loose from the law. Seven, three, we are free from the law. Seven, six, again, this is Romans seven, six, we're delivered from the law. In Romans 6, 14, we're not under the law. So hopefully that makes it clear that Christians are not under the law. And anybody tries to tell you that, you have to obey the law and the commandments, they're wrong, okay? Do you want to do those? Certainly you want to do those. But you have to obey the law in the sense, I have to keep this law, otherwise I'm going to suffer or something like that. No, that's exactly wrong. And again, I can't say to you, we're loose from the law, we're free from the law, we're from delivered from the law, okay? If those statements are true, then anybody telling to tell you you have to keep the law, that's false. All right. <clears throat> Another thing here, and this is this is kind of one I've expounded on before. When we start reflecting, okay, on this truth that we are dead, loose, free, and we're married to Jesus, here's the issue. Many law-promoting churches and groups, and believe me, there's denominations out there even today that kind of, if you want to call it, miss the most important point. They, they, if you would, they beat up other believers, they beat up new believers or other believers because they're not keeping the Old Testament laws or maybe you want to call it the laws of their congregation or the laws of their denominations. Well, <clears throat> they forget a couple different truths. The first one they forget is that Jesus has already paid for every single sin, past, present, or future, and of course every single perceived sin. So if I do mess up, if I do do something that's wrong, he's already paid for it. So rather than emphasizing the goodness of what Jesus has did to set me free, they emphasize the badness, or if you want to call it that, or what I've done. And they, if you want to say, well, you've got to repent, or you've got to do something like that. So it's very, very unfortunate when they start emphasizing, okay, the lost stuff that, again, we're free from, and they try to use that to sort of speak, bind us, hurt us, emotionally, if you want to call it that, kind of brag on us and things like that. So again, we know that Jesus paid for every sin. And guess what? What if you are caught up in a sin? What does the Bible say? Beat him up. Beat him up. Oh, this. Condemn him. Don't let him feel good. Oh, my. Oh, you came late. Oh, your dress is too short. Oh, this. You got on makeup. Oh, my heavens. You went to this movie. Oh, my heavens. Oh, you didn't show up to this event. Oh, you didn't pay all your time. Is that what we're supposed to do? 
Uh-uh, I'm sorry, my Bible doesn't say that. Here's what my Bible says. It says in Galatians 6, 1, that if someone is caught up in a sin, we who are spiritual are to gently restore him and her. So when a person sins, if they start getting caught up into that, and we begin to notice that or it comes to our attention, rather than beat them up, rather than condemn them, rather than kind of put the law on them, let's try to gently restore them. You know, another point that's kind of related to this is that the Bible says if we're married to Jesus, if we teach people this and we teach people, hey, you want to follow him, you want to serve him, you want to love him, they and others, okay, will be careful not to sin because they love him, all right? Not because they have sufficient willpower, not because you're trying to obey every little jot and tittle of, okay, of a either the law or a commandment or, so to speak, a, a principle or a law of a denomination or a group. In other words, we want to focus on who we are in Christ, not what we're not supposed to do, okay? If you remember, the Bible says the, the law is the, the sin. <laughs> the law is the strength of sin. So we keep talking about the law, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. We're just strengthening sin in and around our group or our denomination. Also, my Bible says, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And what I'm saying here is that if you get up every morning and you try to walk in the Spirit and you just walk with God, you're not going to bother with the lust of the flesh. You're not going to have time for them. You're not going to think about them. You're not going to give them any place. If they start to come up, you're going to resist them. So we would do better off again to tell people the good news of who they are, the good news of how they can walk, and then we encourage them to walk in the Spirit, all right? And then they're going to, so to speak, not fulfill those lusts of the flesh that, quote, people are concerned about. All right. <clears throat> and notice this verse also said, makes it a point. It says, you shall bring forth fruit. So again, we take, we take an emphasis. We go from the death of our old nature to our marriage to Christ. So what? So we can serve him to bear fruit. Again, it's a positive message. It's a positive statement, if you want to call it that. That's saying this is what you are going to do and you can do rather than this is what you should not do. Let's again focus on what who you are and what you can do and what God wants us to do, like bear fruit and, so to speak, pick up your cross daily and follow him. Okay, let's go to Romans 7, 5, and it says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, were which by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Okay, listen carefully. He's being... He's being He's, so to speak, bringing up a wonderful point. It's going to take a few scriptures to get through this. But if you understand that, he's going to set you free in some areas, and you can help a lot of believers. Okay, the first part of the verse says, when we were in the flesh. So we're not in the flesh anymore. He said, when you were, when you were married to your old man, when you were dead in your sins and stuff, you were in the flesh. Brothers and sisters, if you're listening to me, you can no longer be in the flesh. Would you maybe walk after the flesh? Man, I'm walking after lust or I'm walking after greed or bitterness. Sure, but you're not in the flesh. So let that set you free. You're not in the flesh today, all right? You are free from that. So again, I'll go back to this scripture when we were in the flesh. So this confirms again what we were previously saying. When we were in the flesh, we're not there anymore. So again, we don't have the old nature. That's another thing, people. If, if we're not in the flesh anymore, we don't have the old nature. So groups that try to bring that up and try to hammer uh, believers or others that, well, now you've sinned, you brought up the old man, and you're starting to act like the old man. No, you don't have the old man anymore. It says, when we were in the flesh, we're not there anymore. All right? Okay, I'll try to finish my comments here. Just about, I'm not sure I'll get through those. Let me go on to my next comment. 
We are, of course, married to Jesus, all right? We're free from the old man so we could be married to him. Remember, we couldn't be married to Jesus, okay, if we were still in the old nature or if you said we were still in the flesh. All right, very important point. I guess I'm not going to have time to go through this one. It talks about the motions of sin, all right? The motions of sin um, are something for us, if you want to call it to, how, how did sin get in our life, okay? Well, the motions of sin were caused by the law. And, of course, these motions of sin, and, again, the sins that we did, they did work, so to speak, in our members, and they did produce death, which the, Bible, the verse says it brings forth fruit unto death. But how do these motions of sin, what, where did this come from, and how do they get activated? Well, I don't think I have time to go through this anymore today. I'm just going to go ahead and stop for a second here, but we'll come back to this. So we're kind of in the middle of Romans 7, 5, where it says, We were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Well, I hope the program has blessed you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance, go to my website, GaryGriffinHagen.com, GaryGriffinHagen.com. Well, God bless you today, and thank you so much for listening to me. Hope you can join me next week as we go into all the world.